Good evening. How are y'all? Welcome to Coffee House Theology. Um, we're doing uh, continuing our study through systematic theology. Uh, I'm Brian Ball. Jay Strother and I co-teach uh, the, this this session. Uh, Jay is off wandering in the footsteps of Paul in Turkey right now. Uh, he and I texted a little bit this afternoon. It is magnificent the things that he's getting to see. And what what. I hope you take that as encouragement, that we, every five years our church gives our, our ministers sabbaticals. And this is Jay's 20th year. Really, his 20th year was a couple years ago, but it was COVID, right? So this is kind of his 20th year. And he's taken time to do missions with his family, take time with his family. And then this is kind of his personal feeding. He's got, I think, the guy that leads the tour is a Ph.D. in archaeology and a Ph.D. in theology. So it is incredibly deep. It is it's physically exerting. But when he comes back to preach, when he opens the word and sees those locations, he'll see in his mind that he was standing there. Isn't that magnificent? Isn't that just awesome that a church would give that kind of gift to its ministers? And so just, just when you kind of think about when you give, you kind of think about as you serve here. Remember, that's part of what we do in order to serve him, right? In order to serve all our ministers. So, so please take encouragement in that. Um, if you are not getting our weekly email, please shoot the barcode on the screen. That will add you to our weekly email list. We send out the notes from the, the handout from the previous week in a PDF. And so you'll get that. You'll get kind of what's, what's going on and the announcements that we have. Um, and then we've got a, a Slido room. I guess let me give you a second to shoot that. Y'all, y'all good? There's the Slido room. So you can shoot that to go to Sli or go to slido.com on your, your phone or tablet. The room number is 6930330, up to seven digit rooms, that's pretty cool. Um, and if you go there, you can ask questions and you can also like questions that have been asked and that will raise them up in, in I'm here by myself, so I will look at the questions and, and kind of figure out if the Holy Spirit gives me an answer. Because um, that's what it's gonna take. Uh, it's, it's, I hope you guys have been encouraged. Last week was on election, which is often a very controversial topic. And you guys really seem to handle that well. I thought Jay had a very even-handed teaching, very biblical teaching and understanding. And so I'm just thankful for the response, thankful for, for how all that worked. Uh, let's, let's pray and get started. Father God, we're thankful. Thankful for your grace. Thankful for your son that saves us. Um, thankful for the teaching tonight, Father. We make it an offering to you for you to do with as you will and for you to be glorified in and through it. Um, we ask that your spirit be with us and in and through us. We ask for wisdom. You say if we don't have wisdom, we ask for it. We give us wisdom to discern the eternal truths, discern the way that these, these truths should shape our lives to look more like Christ. And Father, change us. We should never walk in here, walk out of here the same as we walked in because we encountered the truth. So change us, Father, as we, as we encounter you, encounter your word. It's in the precious name of Christ Jesus that we pray. Amen. All right. So we're going to do a little bit, do a little bit of review. I, I took a chunk off of Jay's um, handout last week just to, just to get us reset on where we are. And what we're talking about is the doctrine of salvation, right? Technically known as the doctrine of the application of redemption, right? And salvation is a, the work of God that delivers us from sin and its penalty, restores us in right relationship with him and imparts eternal life. 
And that's what this section, we're doing four weeks on this. Um, and we don't miss the point, right? To, to, to better understand God's saving plan, right? That the point is to better understand the depths of God's saving plan, to be in awe of the miracle of our own salvation and to motivate us to share the gospel with others. Right, and last week, you, you see the 10, the, the ten kind of elements um, of saving grace. And last week, we talked about election. This week, we're going to talk about the gospel call and the gospel and gospel conversations. And we're kind of slow walking that because that's so critical and so important. And you're going to hear things that we teach regularly here um, um, taught in this. Please pray for next week because we're going to do regeneration, conversion, justification, adopted, and sanctification. There are many books written on each of those. And so we're going to cover all of those. And so please just pray for, pray for the Lord's wisdom in, in how, to get those, how to get those done. Uh, there's five corollaries to election that, that, Jay, that Jay ended with. One is that salvation is a sovereign work of God from beginning to end. Um, some of the questions from last week or several of the questions were about losing our salvation. Or, or knowing that we're saved. And uh, my son Benjamin's up at uh, Yale Divinity School studying when his reading, one of his readings this week was on election. And he had a, he was, a, he, one of the things that he read from a, from a Jewish author who was writing on election to other Jews made an observation about Christians. And he said, they often have an insecure psychology often attributed to an adoptive child by which they trust less that their parents love them and worry more about rejection right? That we're not worthy of God's salvation. But election is the perfect answer to that, right? That our salvation is rooted in God's goodness, nothing more and nothing less. And because it's not free, right? And I've told y'all, you know, you can be absolutely sure that if I can lose my salvation, I will, right? I have no hope. Okay. Just being honest, if there's any way to screw this up, I will find it. But the confidence that I have is it's God's work and not mine, right? It's God's work. And so I have full confidence in, in the Lord. I have full confidence, right? We tell you all the time, my words won't save you. Jay's words won't save you. Jesus' words will save you, right? That's the eternal work. And that's what we have confidence in, right? That's what we have confidence in. Um, God's desire is for the salvation of all humanity. And I love that Jay drew this distinction, right? God purposes the salvation of the elect, but only permits the damnation of the unbeliever. That there's permission, right? There's purpose and permission. Um, Each person has the freedom to choose or reject salvation. And that election originates, is accomplished, and will be consummated in Jesus Christ. Right, the scriptures teach election for our assurance and comfort, giving no room for fear or fatalism, right? Often ways that it's misunderstood. We may not know all the secret counsels or decrees, right? There's, there's not, God's ways are not our ways. If he's a God, we can understand that he's not God, right? So while we can't understand everything, because of Christ, we know his will for us. So election, right, is intended to encourage Christians that they are secure. It is never or very rarely preached to non-Christians for whom the message is believe and you will be saved. That make sense? All right. So the gospel and effectual calling. And the bridge verse really is Romans is Romans 8.30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Right? So those who, right, the, the, so the elect were also called. And all that were called were justified. But we know that everybody doesn't respond to the gospel, right? So everybody's not justified. 
So there must be something different about this calling. And I, and I like this kind of theological nuance that, that in, in most systematic theology, this is called effective calling, right? Is, is the calling that we are saved. That's the calling to the elect, right? And so calling is an act of God, 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Right. Amen. First Corinthians 1 9, God who is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. First Thessalonians 2 12, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Right? And, it, and that it, you're included right to be called with the saints. Right? Including you who are called to be saints. Romans 1 6 says. Right? And we are called to be saints, Romans, going on Romans 1, 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Right? And in 1 Corinthians, that's how Paul introduces a lot of his letters. To the church of, of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with those who are in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Right? We've come into the realm of peace. We've come into the realm of peace. Right, 1 Corinthians 7.15, but God has called you to peace. Right, Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. We're called to freedom. For, once, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We're called to hope. Ephesians 1.18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. In Ephesians 4.4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. We're called to holiness, right? 1 Thessalonians 4.7, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. He's called us to long suffering, Right? Verse Peter 2, 20 and 21, for the credit is, is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to, you, for to this you have been called. We've been called to suffer, right? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his step. 1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this you were called, that you may obtain the blessing. We're also called to eternal life, right? 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made good confession to the witnesses of many. Wow, that's a lot to be called to, Right? But it's, and it's not just a normal call. Um, this is a call, this calling is a summons from the king of the universe. And the call brings about the response it asks for in people's heart. That's why it's effective, right? Those who were called were justified. The calling draws us out of the kingdom of darkness into God's kingdom and into fellowship with him, right? 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. We kind of see that in a life right there with the queen's death. Um, Benjamin taught over in Windsor, England for the last year. He came back in July. He taught from July to July to this July. That's where the queen's going to be buried. 
Um, the school he taught at was run by a baron, like a real baron, right? You hear about like the red baron, a real baron, one of the queen's relatives ran, ran the, and when the queen summons you, when royalty, there is a, a enormously formal protocol when you are in her presence, right? And this is a lady that's essentially a figurehead. So imagine being called by the king of the universe. That's the call we have, right? That we are summoned by the king. And this effective calling is distinguished from a general gospel invitation that goes to all people and is sometimes rejected. Right? The human gospel proclamation is involved as sometimes God's effective calling comes through preaching of the gospel. Right? That's 2 Thessalonians 2.14. This is called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So sometimes that calling comes through us, comes through preaching, comes through our gospel conversations. Many hear the general call and reject it as they have only received an external calling. In some cases, right, the working of the Holy Spirit makes the, makes the calling effective in people's hearts for they respond. And so we have a definition of effective calling put in a little box, right? Effective calling is an act of God the Father speaking through the human proclamation of the gospel in which he summons people to himself in such a way that they respond in saving faith. Right? And we recall from last week in an election right, that we must always insist this response still must be voluntary. Right? A willing response in which the individual person puts his or her trust in Christ. And that's why prayer is essential in evangelism. Right? Prayer is essential in effective evangelism. Right? Unless God works in people's hearts to make the proclamation effective, no genuine saving response will come forth, right? John six forty four. no one can come to, to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day, right? And that example, right, is Paul's first visit to Philippi, right, where Lydia heard the gospel message, right? And then the one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Right, so the Lord opened her heart to that response. So does that make sense? The difference between effective and general calling? We good? Y'all awake? All right, the gospel. This is going to sound familiar because we teach this about once a year. Um, the reason we are, are slow walking through this is how critical this is. We talk about gospel conversations all the time. It is critically important that we understand what the gospel is. It's critically important that we understand when we share the gospel what the components are that are there, right, that, that show the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and what we are is sharing the good news of Jesus, of Jesus Christ, right? We value the gospel first in all ways because it is the power of God to everyone who believes, right? Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. The power is not in us, our persuasion or our tactics. Let me say that again. The power is not in us, our persuasion or our tactics. The power is in the gospel itself, right? First Corinthians two, one through five. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. 
and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen? Doesn't that take a lot of pressure off? Right? You don't have to say the right thing. What you have to do is trust in the spirit and follow his leading. Right? Be sensitive to the spirit, listening to, to whoever you're having a conversation with and listening to the Holy Spirit. And he will guide you. He will lead you. Right? That's, that's just that's spectacular. Um, we must clarify gospel confusion. One of, the, one of the things that, and Jay says this all the time, right? Losing the gospel happens in a three-part progression. Right? First, the gospel is assumed. Um, we have a mission statement, right, that, that, that the gospel of Jesus, we'll share the gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime with anyone. I had our church put the, of Jesus Christ in that, in our mission statement and our value statement. I went to the public meeting and had them put that in because there are false gospels out there. Paul says, if someone comes preaching another gospel, right, so we have to clarify what gospel we believe, otherwise it's assumed, right? And so what gospel do we believe, right? If it's just the gospel, and we can, we, we can talk about that, right? The, and let's go through the three parts and we'll get this. All right, so the first the gospel assumed, next the gospel is confused, right? Then we don't understand what the gospel is because we don't declare it clearly. We leave room for things to be, to be wrong, to be, to be confused and not understood. And then the gospel is lost, right? And Greg Gilbert, and it's a wonderful little book. I put it at the reference at the, at the end, which is what is the gospel by Greg Gilbert? He says, I think that in the energy generated by discussions about the gospel points to, to a general fog of confusion that swirls around it these days. When you come right down to it, Christians just don't agree on what the gospel is, even Christians who call themselves evangelical. Right? And that's pretty troubling. That's, that's, that's pretty troubling. And there's several false gospels that are, that are in America right now. And what, and I've also have a discussion kind of what a false, a false gospel is when you center the gospel on anything but Jesus. Right? That's what a false gospel is. It's a gospel centered on anything but Jesus. So the prosperity gospel, what is that centered on? Health, wealth, and, and happiness, right? God, Jesus wants you happy and healthy. Does Jesus want you happy? What do we just read? You were called to suffer. Why are we called to suffer? Because Jesus suffered and he's our example. I lost all my work when the COVID, when the, when the COVID hit in 2020. I had one son going into senior year in college, another going into his freshman year, to which I told God this is rather inconvenient timing, <laughs> right? My theological son, who was at Princeton at the time, is at Yale Divinity School, comes up to me and says, Dad, God doesn't promise you any more work. I said, that's right. That we do not believe in the prosperity gospel. This is not the best time for that truth. Okay, not the best time for that truth. But that is true. We do not believe, right? The Lord doesn't promise me more. He said, but dad, you're really good at what you do. So I think somebody's going to hire you again. So I said, it's fantastic. I agree. We'll see what the Lord has for us, right? If he wants us living in a shack eating beans, we'll live in a shack and eat beans, right? To the glory of God. And if he puts us in a house in Spring Hill or Franklin or Brentwood or Right, Dothan, Alabama, or New York City, right? We'll do that to the glory of God too, right? And so what we did was, we, what we did, our response to that was we started Shabbat dinners on Friday night. And so we certainly, right, you lose all your work, you certainly tighten down, but we said we would go out to local restaurants and get to go to help them survive. And we would come back and eat dinner and talk about how good God was to us. What was good this week, right? Because that's what you focus on when hard times come. It's the goodness of God. 
right? That, that's, what, that's what we do. That's what, and that's the opposite of the prosperity gospel. Right? The prosperity gospel says, because I lost all my work, obviously my faith wasn't strong. Obviously I'm doing something wrong, right? And it's, that, wasn't the, that wasn't what would happen, right? The world shut down. And it's okay because I don't depend on the world because Christ has overcome the world. And I just need to follow him, right? And so I try to live that out as an example to my community and to my family, right? Because that's what we believe, right? Second gospel, the personal gospel. God's all about you. And it's amazing. You can do self-sacrificial things in selfishness, right? Because it makes you feel good. We know a lot of lost people that do a lot of wonderfully good things so that they feel good about themselves, right? Not to glorify God, but to glorify them, right? That's what the gospel of self is, right? Puts you at the center of the gospel instead of Jesus, right? The political gospel, yikes, right? How much has that hit, hit the church, particularly the evangelical church? On all sides, this is not a politically sided thing. On all sides. But we have to remember, right, our victories don't come from Congress or the courts. They come from the cross, right? Our victories do not come from Congress or the courts. They come from the cross. And as long as we keep that in mind, as long as we keep that in frame, we can operate Christ-like even in a contentious political atmosphere, right? Because the, the court doesn't hold, the president doesn't hold, the Congress doesn't hold, the governor doesn't hold, right? Jesus holds. Right, And the re only reason they have any power at all is because God gave it to them. So we don't fear them. Right? We fear the Lord. All power and authority go to the Lord. We good on that? All right. Just checking. Just checking. Right? Because if, if it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, period. Right? If it, and I, I love how Jay describes this. Right? If it's Jesus and anything else. Right? It becomes a form of works righteousness. That's right. It's got to be something you do because Jesus did it all. So if there's something else, it's you doing it. Right? And that don't work. Again, if that's what it takes to get saved, we're done. Let's go, let's go play putt-putt. Right? No reason to be here. But it's not. Jesus did everything. If it's Jesus or if there are alternatives to Christ, right? And we start seeing in, in, a, in, in, in a lot of the pluralism where I'm good with Jesus or this other God. Jesus, or right, uh, Mike Glenn, our senior pastor at, at, uh, at uh, Brentwood, calls it uh, Mambo Number Five theology. Right, a little bit of Jesus in my life, a little bit of Buddha makes it right. Right, you just kind of Mambo Number Five. Your the right? No, right? No, uh, that, and that's syncret. The fancy word for that is syncretism, right? Which Jay wrote down. But I kind of like Mambo Number Five theology. I think that's a lot more fun. Also. Have a nice song. Anyway, all right. So the true gospel presentation must contain four biblical truths, right? God reigns. God reigns. Man sinned. That's generally the pro problem most people have is the need to be saved, right? We live in a relatively wealthy community. Wealth anesthetizes us to much of our need. We think if we can just right, pay for this, then it's okay. Right? If I can just have enough money to, right? And, and one of the things, Ben, ben the kind of the theme of when Ben and Micah were home for the, for the couple of weeks in the summer that we had all of us together, our theme of the conversations were the, the world is so desperately seeking something that's not broken, that's not God. 
right? Take a look around. The world is desperately seeking something that's not broken and not God, but it doesn't exist. And so they keep building false hope on false hope because they won't recognize the depravities in us. It's not in systems, but it is in systems, right? Because systems are made up of human beings. It's not in churches, but churches are have depravity in them because they're made up of human beings, right? They're not in it. The hope is in Christ, right? And our, as a church, we're an imperfect representation of him. As a Christian follower, I'm an imperfect representation of him, but I strive to be like him. And we as a body strive to be like him. So we faithfully teach the word and we faithfully conform our practices and our, and our teachings Right and our service to Jesus. But we sin, there's depravity in us. And here's the fantastic part, right? Christ came, died, and rose again. Right? If Christ did not rise, we're done. We talked about that in resurrection. If Christ did not rise, we're done. But praise be to God, Christ did rise. Right? And we are not done. And our hope lasts eternal. Right, but that's got to be part of a gospel presentation. And then we respond right in faith and repentance. Right, faith and then our immediate response to salvation is repentance. To repent of our sin, to repent of, of the, and to turn. Repentance is not right feeling bad. Repentance is turning around and walking a different way. And so we change. Right, the Lord changes us, and that's what we're going to get into. Right, the next those five things next week. I'm really excited about teaching them. Right, because it's what the what the Holy Spirit does in us. Right, we, we kind of think of salvation as this, as this rather simple thing, but when you see what all God does for us, in us, through us, it's magnificent. How, how can we not be thankful? Right? How, how can we not have joy? Right? When you really understand who God is and what he's done. And so that's the gospel presentation, right? This correlates to four movements, right? In the meditative of the Bible, we see creation, the fall, redemption, then restoration, consummation, right? We watch that as the theme as we move through Scripture, right? It moves from creation to fall to redemption, right? And most of the Bible is the story of redemption because most of our life is the story of redemption, amen? Right? Your life and my life is redemption. Right, we're being redeemed. Praise be to God. Right, and then, and then that also corresponds to the four fundamental worldview questions that have to be answered. And these are, these are the questions that I use are, I think, Vodi Bakum is who put the questions together. The, the, the philosophy stuff is origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. The, I love this framing of the questions of who am I? Why am I here? What's wrong with the world? And is there any hope? Right? And any worldview has to answer those four questions. And that's what usually when I run into secular worldviews, the first question I ask is, okay, fill in this blank. In the beginning. Right? I'm, I'm a scientist. My daddy was a scientist. My granddaddy was a scientist. Right? Science is fantastic at doing steady state stuff. But then when you ask them to go back to in the beginning, right? even Stephen Hawking says, well, it's a singularity where all the laws of physics break down. So it doesn't work there, right? Hmm. I think you have more faith than I do. Um, but, but these are the questions, right? Who am I? Where, where did I come from? 
right? And, and, and what's interesting, and we won't get into this too deeply, we did, we did an apologetic section about three years ago where we went in depth on these questions, right? But the world has answers for these questions, right? Or most, at least the most common worldview, kind of a natural materialism that seems to permeate kind of where we are at least. Um, you know, and they answer, who am I? You're a single cell organism run amok, right? You, an amoeba, or what? It's, right? You're a single cell organism run amok. And why are you here? You're here to consume and enjoy. Have you watched the ad on YouTube, right? Have you watched the ad on TV? You are here to consume and enjoy, right? And so the question that you, when, if those are the answers to those questions, if you're here, right, if you're a single cell run amok, so no inherent value, and I'm a single cell run amok, and you're here to consume and enjoy, and I'm here to consume and enjoy, what's the only question? Do you get to consume and enjoy, or do I get to consume and enjoy? So what's our relationship? Power. Go look at how the world works. It's power, right? And their answer, what's wrong with the world? We're undereducated, under control. Because what's the answer to every major social problem we have? Education and control, right? That's the only trick we seem to have in the bag. Praise be to God, Jesus answers these questions differently, right? Every one of us has it, has, has inherent significance, inherent worth because we were in the, built in the image of the creator, right? And why are we here? We're here to glorify God. So let's think about that for a second. So if you have inherent value and I have inherent value and you're here to glorify God and I'm here to glorify God, what's our relationship? Love. How about that? How about that? Right? What's wrong with the world? I am. I mean, you too. Okay, that's not, right, yeah, right. I'm what's wrong with the world. Is there any hope? Only in Christ, amen? Right, and so what do we do? We love God and we love people because he's done it all and gives us these answers. Isn't that beautiful? That's just awesome. That's just awesome. I'm gonna say it's awesome. All right, Ephesians 2, 2 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So where'd we start? Right? Wow. But God, right? I needed, I needed the but God there, how about y'all? Right? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen? Amen, right? So we are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. All three of those elements have to be there for the gospel. All three of those elements have to be there for the gospel. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Right, one of the classic ways, of course, to share our faith is the Romans wrote. Um, anybody grew up Baptist? This is, you've been up and down this road several times, probably once walking, a couple of times on a bike. Um, but but it's, it's, a spectac- it's spectacular how, and, and I don't know if you know Romans, right? Early, um, Paul wrote Galatians early in his ministry. And Paul was very brash early in his ministry. Paul, Paul was kind of a harsh guy, right? Running around killing Christians until Jesus literally blinded him and saved him. Right, Paul, pretty, pretty rough dude. And you see his brashness in Galatians. And then Romans is kind of where he matured and gave us this mature view and this mature systematic look at theology. And praise God that he gave that to us in his work, right? And so when we go down the Romans road, we're looking at a matured Paul, right, who's lived out a life of faith. And this is how he sees things come together. And so don't, like I say, don't, don't miss the, the critical importance of that. And it starts off in Romans 1.16, right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The Jew first and then to the Greek, right? And so this is the power of God to save, right? You're, you're looking for something perfect. You're looking for something, right, that isn't broken. This is it. This is the only thing that's not broken, But we've all sinned, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's hard to accept, even though we know it, right? I don't think anybody looks back on their life and goes, man, I've been perfect so far, right? Right, we we all know the wreck we've made of most of things, right? I mean, even the the best among us, right? It's it's pretty much a disaster left to our own. So all have sinned, and it's, you know, that's what the evidential, the atheist evidential um, professor at Harvard, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head, that's what he would always say. He said, the one thing that you really can't argue with is the depravity of man. He said, there's just overwhelming evidence. He said, you just, he said you just, there's just no way to, there's just no, you just can't come to, he said, now you can argue about Jesus, you can argue about, but he said that men are, that people are screwed up, no chance. Said, you have no chance of arguing that. And again, that's an atheist. That's not even somebody who believes. Right? And what we know is the wages of sin is death, right? But But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. And if we really go back and look at how sin goes in our life, something dies when we sin. Right? When Adam and Eve sinned, did they immediately die? They just fall over? Nope. Right? What was the death? spiritual, right? They were separated from God, right? And so every time we sin, something dies. And we don't take sin that seriously a lot of times, right? But we know the consequences are death, right? And so we should take sin very, very seriously. And the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, right? That in, in, right, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? That's the next step. 
Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We don't need to clean up, right? Our friends who are lost don't need to do something and then be saved. Rachel and I have gay friends, friends over on the LGBTQ plus spectrum. Right? It's a very confusing language to me because I'm old. Okay, but, but we don't want them to not be gay. We don't want them to not be LGBTQ. We want them to know Jesus. We desperately want them to know Jesus. Because what we know is if they find Christ and the Holy Spirit enters them, the Holy Spirit will wear them out on their sin just like he wears me out on my sin. Amen? Right? Holy Spirit is really good at that. Really, really good. Right? It's his job. And he's God. Okay? So that works out really well. Right? But what we desperately want for our friends is to know Christ. We desperately want that for the people who are gluttons. And who are greedy, right? There's all kinds of false gods, all kinds of false idols. And we don't need them to relinquish the false idol. We need them to know Jesus. And once they know Jesus, they'll see that idol in the proper light. They'll understand what God has for them, that the great love and grace that he has, right? But we don't need them to be unsinful before they're saved. Because we weren't unsinful before we were saved, right? Being sure we're good. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Praise be to God. Right? That, that we can be saved. That we can be saved. And then Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Right? So what we do in response is present our lives as a living sacrifice. Right? Sacrifices are things killed. Right? And so we die each day, right? That's what Jesus talks about in picking up our cross, right? A.W. Tozer says, you know, every day you wake up and that cross is laying on the ground behind you and you have a choice every single day to pick up that cross and bear it. Turn around, pick it up and walk, right? And we make that choice every day. We make our lives a living sacrifice, right? Our body's a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And therefore, right, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Right? How awesome is that? How awesome is that? that, that and we tend, to cling, we tend to cling to the old when God has forgiven it. Right? God has erased it, but it's still on our mind and it's not on his. And so that's one of the things I pray every day is, Lord, let me see my life in, with your eyes. What am I supposed to be thinking about? What am I supposed to be worried about? What am I supposed to be concerned with today, right now, right? Spirit-led order is the, the phrase I really like, right? We are to put in order. God is not a God of chaos. We put things in order, but we follow the spirit. And so we live lives of spirit-led order. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? All right, summary of the gospel. The good news, and I love, this is David Platt out of a compassionate call to counterculture. I really, really like this definition. And it is steeped in scripture. If you go, if you go pull it up, there's, 
in this one paragraph. Twenty thirty-one, twenty-nine, or thirty-one scripture references supporting this one paragraph. The good news that the only true God, the just, gracious creator of the universe, has looked upon hopelessly sinful men and women and has sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against sin through his substitutionary death on the cross and to show us his power over sin and death in the resurrection from the grave so that everyone who turns from their sin and themselves and trusts in Jesus alone as Savior and Lord will be reconciled to God forever. Amen. Can I read that again? All right. All right. The good news that the only true God, the just and gracious creator of the universe, has looked upon hopelessly sinful men and women and has sent his son Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against sin through his substitutionary death on the cross and to show that his power over sin and death in the resurrection from the grave so that everyone who turns from their sin and themselves and trust in Jesus alone as Savior and Lord will be reconciled to God forever. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that just awesome? All right, that's awesome. Okay. All right, our job, right? The gospel must be shared verbally and lived out intentionally, right? The, the phrase that is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, which is preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. I really don't like that statement. Really don't like that statement. One, I don't think it's representative of, of um, St. Francis's theology. I think if you look and study his theology, it's pretty inconsistent with what he did. Um, there's no proof he ever said it, and it's just not true, Right? Because Romans 10, 15 through 17 says, and how are they to preach unless they're sent, right? How beautiful on the feet are the feet of those who preach the gospel, the good news, right? That's a quote from Isaiah, right? How beautiful on the, on the mountains are the feet, right? Which is an odd thing to say to me, right? You'd think the good news would be praised, but it was the feet until you go look. And when Jesus was resurrected, you know what the first thing people did? They fell and grabbed his feet and worshiped. Because blessed are the feet of the one who brings the good news. Go read, go read the resurrection things. And it's incredible how many of them fall at their feet, take his feet. Because blessed are the feet of he who brings the good news. I just thought that's really cool. Sorry. Right. And, and, that's, and that's Isaiah telling us that right, we've, got, we've got to verbally speak this. It's imp- and it's very important, by the way, that your life and what you say are consistent. Right. I've got, like I say, two adult children. They did not do what I said. They did what I did. Right? The way we lived our lives. That's what Benjamin, we asked Benjamin when he was in middle school and high school. Do we embarrass you as your parents? He would say, no. You embarrass me by the way we live. He said, we actually live an authentic Christian life, which is very different than how anybody else lives. That's pretty embarrassing as a middle schooler. I was like, I can live with that as a parent. I'm like, you know, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. We, we can be different, right? We can be weird. Um, and that's so very Benjamin. All right. The lost and searching, right? I came to seek and save those who were lost. That's what Jesus said he was doing. 
Right? I came to seek and save those who are lost. Right? Who are the lost and searching? Right? Lost describes the condition of those who haven't professed belief in Jesus and are separated from God. Right? John 3, 16, 17. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in the order that the world might be saved through him. Right? And the scriptures describe lostness in terms of destruction, ruin, and even leading to death. Right? 3.23, for all of sin and fallen short of the God, as we read before. 6.23, the rages of sin is death. Right? And, and, and using the word lost keeps us mindful of what's at stake. Right? To see people receive eternal life. For the Son of Man came to seek and say what was lost. Lost people act lost. Isn't that shocking? Right? But sometimes we as Christians get frustrated with them because they don't act like Christians. You know why we act like Christians? Because we have the Holy Spirit in us. Right? That's what allows us to do and be the way we are. Right? When we accepted Christ, we're a new creation. We're going to get into that next week. But the Holy Spirit's in us. That's what allows us to do the things that God calls us to do. They don't have the Holy Spirit. So when lost people act lost... Right? But them being lost should make it urgent for us to share the gospel with them. Right? What are the wages of sin again? Death. Do you want that for your friend? If you do, are you really their friend? Right? That pen was that pen and teller, right? Pen always said, right? How much do you have to, if you actually believe this, how much do you have to hate me not to tell me about the gospel? How much do you have to hate somebody? If you know they're going to die not to share the good news that will save them. Right? Fair question? Fair question? All right. All right, so examples of lost and searching in the New Testament. I really like these. Uh, the woman at the well, right? Uh, let's go look at, uh, let's go over to John 4. All right. All right, in verses 16 through 19, she was certainly lost. Jesus said to her, go and call your husband. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What I have said is true. That's pretty lost. That's pretty lost. Was she seeking, though? Absolutely. Right? We go down to the verse at 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So she was lost, but she was seeking. Right? All right. Let's look over to Zacchaeus. We head over to Luke 19. Yikes. So Zacchaeus, right? Was he lost? Oh yeah, you listen, right? listen to what he, what he confesses, right? Behold, Lord, and the half my goods I give to the poor, and any, if I've defrauded anyone, if, right? I've defrauded anyone of anything. I restore it fourfold. Right? Was this dude stealing from people? Yes. Is that lost? Yes. Right? Was he seeking? Yeah, let's go back up to verse three. Right? And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Right? The lost and the seeking. Right? How about Saul? <laughs> go to Acts 9. <laughs> was Saul lost? But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. That's about as lost as you get. Right? Running around murdering people because they're Christians. Right? Right? But then we see Saul so obedient to the Lord, right? 
Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, right, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, right? Because it said, you know, but rise and the Lord command him, right? But rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. And so he rose and entered the city, right? He was seeking. He was seeking. All right, let's last look at Cornelius. Going down to verse uh, chapter 10. Right, and, and was, uh, was Cornelius lost? I think you go to verse 25, you see. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. That's pretty lost, right? Because the whole point wasn't to worship Peter. It was to worship Jesus. But Cornelius was seeking, right? We go back up to verse 2. Right? At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of, the, of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. Right? He didn't know what exactly to worship, but he knew there was something out there to worship. Right? But he was still, mis still misunderstood, still lost. Because when Peter came, he fell and worshiped Peter. You know, and, and obviously Peter immediately said, no, that's, that's not what we do. Right? And so I love this. This is a, how do we connect with the lost and, and searching? And this is how to, you know, sharing Jesus without freaking out evangelism is, as you were born to do it, a book uh, a book that we've used quite a bit of times. And so how do we connect with one is awareness, right? We believe that God is always doing something in the people around us. He has placed us next to them for a reason. We learn to believe that the spirit inside us is, is at work in both the people around us and in our own lives. So what we need to be is sensitive to the spirit, right? At all times. God puts you where you're working because you're working. God puts your kids in the school they're in to be a light. Right, the school that Benjamin and Micah went to here removed God from all of their founding documents, Micah, Benjamin's first grade year. Went through, took references to God. It was referenced to God throughout their, their founding documents. Took them all out. So what did we do? We left our kids in there. Right? Because I believe that what, what is in them is greater than what's outside of them. And so we were witnesses. That may not be what God calls you to do. But it was what God called us to do. And I can see the faith. I can see the conversion stories of Benjamin and Micah and how that played out. And I can see how their ministries play out. And the men of God they are today that were formed in those experiences. Right? And, and Micah in high school, Benjamin had a few of the LGBTQ students come out. But Micah, every LGBTQ student in his school came out to him. And, and he, people were clear. We're clear about our beliefs. We're clear about what we, what we believe. But they knew he was safe. And they knew that no matter what they told him, he would love them. And so they came out to him when they wouldn't come out to anybody else. And so guess what? He has an opportunity to witness to them now. Most of them still aren't saved. What if this church were the safe place for all those people to come? And this is where they felt secure. That's what Jesus calls us to be. Right? Because you and I were sinners just like them. And they called me. They called you. Right? And so we sense the Holy Spirit. We know we're at work. And we're at work there. Right? Prayer. <laughs> we pray daily for God to show us Christ in others. And word and deed. Right? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Amen. 
right? We learn to pray daily for opportunities to speak about Jesus, wisdom to see the opportunities, and the courage to take them, right? And hopefully part of these teachings, understanding that all of this is an act of God, gives you that courage and confidence. That it's not about you, it's not about your persuasion, it's not about your presentation, it's about the work of God, right? And so that should give us the courage and confidence. Preparation. We learn to live in a way that enables others where we live, work, and play to see and hear the changes Jesus makes in us. We're always prepared to give the reason, right, an apology for the hope that we have, right? Do you have your testimony? Is your testimony the story of Jesus? There are so many testimonies that are stories of the people. It's like, that's not a testimony. That's a story about you, right? The testimony is the work of Jesus in your life, right? Before Jesus, this is what I was, and then Jesus came, and now this is what Jesus does, right? That's your testimony. I don't know how it played out in your life. I know how it played out in my life, right? But that's the story. Before Jesus, that was perfectly described in that scripture, right? And now with Christ, I'm secure, I'm saved, I'm hopeful, I'm joyful, right? I have peace. I don't always live it out. I don't usually live it out particularly well, maybe, but that's the effort, and I watch his spirit sanctifying me and drawing me to him and forming me more Christ-like every day. And that's encouraging, right? That's encouraging. All right. Wow. Sorry, Sorry. All right, listening. And I've talked about this a bazillion times, right? We learn to be good listeners as listening is an act of love that reveals a person's worldview. We have a culture that is sitting and waiting to speak. Right? Facebook doesn't recognize how many posts you read. It recognizes how many posts you post, right? So we live in a culture that encourages you to speak and not to listen. Right? That's why everybody has a blog. That's why everybody has a podcast. That's why everybody has, right? Everybody's got to speak. And so few people will listen. One of the things that our boys developed early on was a good they are very good at listening. And part of a gospel conversation, as a matter of fact, the main part of a gospel conversation, you know what that is? Listening, right? Benjamin always says, I'm not sure people don't know the gospel. I think most people don't know how to have a conversation, right? Because a conversation is not sitting there waiting to speak. It's listening to what somebody says and letting the Holy Spirit work and then responding, right? That's what a gospel conversation is. Is that good? All right, connection. Uh, we learn to connect authentically with the lost and searching around either their passions or their pain. It's staggering when you go through something really hard, how the Lord will use that to relate to somebody else. Right? My mom died when I was 24. I've been able to walk so many of my friends through their parents' deaths. It's been amazing how the Lord has used that. And I would love to have mama here. Okay, I, I love my mama. Okay. And I would love for her to meet her grandchildren, right? And she will, praise be to God, right? But it's not here. But I've been able to walk through so many people, all of the things that the Lord brought me through. Because you know what the story I get to tell? Is my mama died, and let me tell you what Jesus did for me, right? I lost all my work, and let me tell you what Jesus did for me, right? So whatever tragedy has beset you, let the Lord use the whole, Lord through the Holy Spirit use it to witness for him. 
Right? That's why it's in your life. All right. Conversation. Yep, that goes back to, right, we, we learned to have gospel conversations more than gospel presentations, right? So much of our thing was reading tracts to people and then hitting them with it if they didn't respond properly. Um, luckily, they were soft and small. Um, maybe y'all aren't old enough to remember tracts. Um, but, right, but, but it's not a presentation. It's not, it's, it's, it's not a sales pitch. It's a relationship, right? Um, it's a conversation, Right, and we develop gospel fluency because we naturally talk about what we love. Anybody that has kids or grandkids did not have to go through a training class to talk about them. Amen? Right? As a matter of fact, I've watched people my age and older master social media just because they got grandchildren. It was astonishing the technical proficiency of technology that developed in them apparently overnight to be able to share stories and pictures of their grandchildren. Right? Because what do we do? We talk about what we love. We talk about what we love, right? I get, my son was a speech and debate thing, so he reprimands me for talking about my family, right? My sons and my wife. That's what I love. I love Jesus, I love my family, I love my friends. That's what, I, that's what I've got to talk about, right? And one of, those, one of the things to pause and think about then is if you don't talk about Jesus, are you sure you love him? Right? And that's not a pleasant thing to say or a pleasant thing to ask, but it's a meaningful thing to ask. Right? Right? All right. Challenges. We learn to remove roadblocks and raise questions only Jesus can answer over the course of several conversations. You don't have to have all the answers, but you have to believe. And them know that you believe Jesus is the answer to all their questions. I have a, a friend who was abused in the Catholic Church, um, and I spent a year separating the church from Jesus. I spent a year, and he will tell you when he when he gives his testimony, he talks about it. He said he dude sat there for a year with me and weeded out what the church was that I was abused by, and then what Jesus is, and he came to a saving faith. Praise God, right? He came to saving faith. He saw Jesus, repented, turned his life to Jesus. It took a year of coffee going, nope, yep, right? You know, and then we'd have the same conversation again. It's like, didn't we just do this last week? But that's what, but that's, right, but that's what, you, that's what witnessing is. And I did that because I love him, right? He's a, he's a very dear friend of mine, Right? Because we don't witness to people. We witness to people because we love them. And we don't love them so that. Right? We don't love them so that we become, we have gay friends that have been together as long as a couple, as long as Rachel and I have 27 years. Right? And we don't love them so that they'll come to Christ. We love them and we share the gospel with them. Right? If they never come to Christ, we still love them. Our greatest desire is for them to come to Christ. But we love them no matter what. Right? We do not love them so that. And so many times Christians will love them and then when they see they're not going to accept the gospel in their time frame, they drop them. And that's not love. Right? That's using somebody. The means to an end. And that's not the gospel. Right? All right. Authenticity. Hey, we learn to make true friends, not merely visits, regarding someone's response to the gospel. It's like I just said that. People can tell if you care about them, right? 
People can tell if you believe what you're talking about, right? And people can tell if God is at work in your life, right? Mm. All right. Right, and that's the uh, stills and deeper, right? So make sure the message you, you share is consistent with the message you bear, right? Make sure the message you share is consistent with the life that you live, right? Because they can tell the difference. They can tell the difference. And we trust the Holy Spirit with the results, right? The Bible is clear. Salvation belongs to the Lord, right? In Revelation 7.10, salvation belongs to our Lord who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Um, God saves people, not us. He graciously uses us. Praise be to God, right? But it's his spirit at work within us, right? And when the counselor spirit comes, the one I send you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, right? That's a pretty cool ringtone. All right. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him to me, right? So we don't have to worry about, right, whether it's, the, whether it's, the, whether, whether it's our presentation, but the Father draws them, right? And since the Spirit is the one who brings about the response, this removes anxiety, stress, and pressure to close the deal. We are not spiritual salespeople, but faithful witnesses. I've got a whole teaching we did three or four years ago on what a witness is, right? And a witness is not a sales pitch, right? And a witness is not a salesman. You tell what you know, which goes back to, are you sure you know him? Are you sure you love him? You cannot share what you do not have, right? And it, it worries me. One of the things Benjamin said about being in the Northeast, he was in New Jersey for his undergrad and, and is in Connecticut. You know who the real Christians are. Because there's a social penalty for being a Christian up there. Down here, that's still a social, right, still a social plus. We live in kind of a Christian dumb bubble. And so you can act Christ-like and not know Jesus. And that terrifies me, right? That I don't share the gospel with people because they look Christian and don't know Jesus. That keeps me up at night. Right? That there are people and they don't know they're not saved. And that bothers me. That, that hits me very much to the core, right? So we are more concerned with faithful obedience to share the gospel than we are with results. God will bring about the harvest if we're faithful workers. And again, David Platt. So how do we respond to the gospel? Suddenly contemporary Christianity sales pitches don't seem adequate anymore. Our attempt to reduce, our attempt to reduce the gospel to a shrink-wrapped presentation that persuades someone to say or pray the right things back to us no longer seems appropriate. We have taken the infinitely glorious Son of God who endured the infinitely terrible wrath of God and who now sits as the infinitely worthy Lord of all and we have reduced him to a poor puny Savior who is just begging for us to accept him. Accept him? Do we really think Jesus needs our acceptance? Don't we need him? Amen? We good? Now I'll see what questions you have. Y'all are nice to me, right? I'm, the only, I'm, I'm up here by myself. So. I did bring my glasses so I, have a, so I have a chance of actually reading the questions instead of just kind of making up what you're saying. Let's see. All right. 
What would you say to the person struggling with a specific sin, is convicted by the Holy Spirit, repents and still struggles and commits that sin over and over again? Um, if, he's, if they're in a cycle of sinning, repenting, and then doing something different, I would say welcome to the club. I think, I think that we, we all have propensities to certain sins. I know I have a propensity and I tend to deal with it on different levels um, as I've matured as a Christian. Um, there were times where my, or the things that I had precluded sin would come as outward manifestations, right? And I would put things in place and manifest things so that they wouldn't come out as, 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 but what I need is change of heart. And what the Lord has done over time is changed my heart toward those things. Now, if you keep on sinning without repentance, that's first John and says, then the spirit, holy, then the spirit is not in you. Right? If you keep sinning and don't repent, if you think that sin is okay, that's a different case. But if you sin and repent, I've, I've been doing that so far like 40 or so years. So uh, yeah, we're all in those awkward years between 11 and 84, right? Okay, they start about 11. I hope they end at 84. I don't know. I'm, I'm in hopes, right? But, but you know, that's, that's the cycle of following Jesus. We keep falling short. Right, that's the thing I continue to be, and I'm a perfectionist by nature, and so that continues to have continual disappointment, right, that I failed again today. Right? People go, theodicy, how does bad thing happen to good people? That's not what amazes me. What amazes me is that the eternal Lord of the universe that knows what's in my heart and mind every day let me get up this morning. Right? That's the amazing thing, right, is that God lets me teach his word, right? And I hope that you listen to his word and not mine, right? That's amazing, the Lord can do something like that with somebody like me, right? That's just amazing. That's just amazing. All right. Let's see. Can we define the term political gospel? Some mistakenly identify Christians passionate about influencing politics as people subscribing to a political gospel. Yeah, that's a, I mean, political, being involved in, I believe we're called to be involved in the social order, Certainly. But when you raise politics above faith, that's when the problem comes. And it's a matter of heart. It's a matter, are you trying to glorify God in what you're doing or win a court case or win a congressional thing, right? The question's a matter of the heart. Is it, is it to the glory of God? Uh, Benjamin worked for the ERLC uh, summer after his freshman year. And that was a fascinating look at kind of how that functions, right? What, what political influence of the gospel looks like. Um, and it was, it was, a, it was interesting. So uh, it, it's what your heart is, is centered toward. And what we've seen in at least a lot of external expression of evangelicals is that politics is at the center instead of Jesus. And on both, again, on both sides, this is not a right or left or anything else, right? It's, it's all sides. It's when something else goes to the center of the gospel instead of Jesus, we have a problem. Right? That's a false gospel. That's my definition of a false gospel. When you put something other than Jesus at the center. So that would be my, my take on it is, is, um, is, is you know, what's at the center of the gospel. I tell Eric we're grateful for the coffee this week. Amen. Love coffee. When's the pizza going to get here? I didn't order any pizza. All right. I know what that's from last week. All right. Jesus' own word, unforgivable sin, reconcile with Jesus. We talked about the, that was, we talked about the unforgivable sin uh, a couple, couple weeks ago, and that's just, that's dying. It's, yeah, I, and I, like I said, I'm, I apologize, I'm tired. We, we taught on that. We did an extensive, like, six-minute segment on that 
a week or two ago, so I'd ask you to go back and listen to that. Uh, Jesuit ideas. I don't know. I don't know enough to answer that question. Uh, does God call everyone? There is a general call to everyone. There is a saving call to those that come to faith. Right, that's the whole point of the first 18 minutes of this talk. Uh, one five year corollary four. Well, that was kind of review from last week on the corollaries from last four. Let's see. I follow LGBTQ's questions on social media. And the points on the handout are not questions. How do you continue to have gospel conversations? Um, Yeah, I, you know, you you deal with them personally. Um, I, I you know I see so many people. I mean, have them out for dinner. Uh, sit down and talk to them and find out what they believe. Because obviously, if they support LGBTQ, they don't subscribe to the authority of Scripture in totality, certainly. And so you got to kind of walk down that road of okay. So what do you what do you really see Scripture as? You know, so, and and that's usually the path that I that I take getting into those conversations. Shabbat is the the Sabbath. It's the Jewish word for Sabbath. And so their Sabbath is sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Rachel's dad was Jewish, my wife. And so um, our youngest son's middle name is Lawrence after after her dad. And uh, and we don't celebrate the way the Jews celebrate it. We celebrate it as, as recognizing the goodness of God through Jesus Christ, which is different than Jewish Sabbath. Um, but we like the term. The term's not inappropriate uh, because it is a, it is a, uh, it is a Sabbath. Um, did the components of the gospel change after the resurrection? If so, is it used pre-resurrection biblical conversions as an illustration for today? Um, no, the gospel didn't change. It, it, the gospel still faith in Jesus Christ and obviously people were saved because Moses right, showed up at the transfiguration. Right. Don't know how they knew him. Don't know if they had name tags. Right? There wasn't like there were pictures. They didn't go to Facebook and go, oh, that's Mo. Right? So, you know, I, I don't know how the meet and greet went. But, right, but there was obviously salvation before, the, before, the, before Christ. Um, can I repeat the quote about being shared by adoptive children? Yeah. Um, it's, and the quote was, uh, was that the insecure psychology often attributed to adoptive children by which they trust less their parents love them and worry more about rejection. And I think a lot of Christians find themselves in that position. Right? They worry about being rejected by God. Even though we should be secure, right? Because of everything we just talked about these last two weeks, we should be secure in our salvation. Will the church teach a class about how to have gospel conversations with Mormons in Javia? Um, my best, one of my best friends growing up was Mormon. Um, I went to Mormon summer camp all during my uh, high school. I went to there. They teach, the, they teach scriptures to high schools. All of their high school students show up at 5.30 in the morning at their church and learn theology for an hour, five days a week. And I showed up with them. I started by, and again, how my parents let me do all this stuff, I have no idea. What were they thinking? 
Um, so I went to Mormon summer camp. I was studying the theology. By the, by the second year I was in the theology class, they had, well, I grew up in Tullahoma, Tennessee, about halfway between Chattanooga and Nashville. They had a guy from Nashville driving down to teach the class because I was converting Mormons to Christianity. And it was frustrating the Mormons. So they sent me to summer camp with them because they figured that'd get me. And so that was entertaining. I was at a Mormon summer camp for eight weeks, uh, spreading the gospel and watching indoctrination. It was, it was really fascinating. So uh, if you want to talk about that sometime, let me know. I've, I've done that uh, in Jehovah's Witnesses. I had a guy on my porch about three months ago that was coming to Christ. And there were two of them, and the one guy was physically pulling him off of my porch because he was converting there on the spot. So it was a lot of fun. Um, so they don't come to my house anymore. It's very sad. Um, that, was, that was so wild because Rachel was like, he's going to come to Jesus. I'm like, I know. How cool is that? It's like the Holy Spirit does this stuff. Um, again, nothing about, please don't take that as me. It's the Holy Spirit's work, right? It's knowing his word, showing the truth. And it's like, you can't, right? The, you know, they have sections of the Bible that aren't there. So I pull out my Bible software. I don't invite them. We sit out on the porch. I never invite them in my house, right? But we sit out there on the porch and I have my Bible software going, no, this is what the original manuscript said. Isn't that cool? It's got that sentence in there that yours doesn't have. Huh? It's like, oh, well, that's neat. Um, so yeah, there's, we can... It's Jesus, mom, but I'm one. Um, let's see. It, it's, uh, yeah, anyway. But yeah, so that's, yeah, if you like to say, if you want to talk about stuff, let me know. I've, I've had a lot of experience witnessing Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormon, Mormons. Like I said, my buddy who's Mormon has still not come to Christ uh, in, in tragedy. I continue to witness for him, continue to pray for him. Uh, I've known him 50 years, done everything I know to do. They, br- they would bring the Mormonettes. They brought a whole set of teams to witness to me and my other friend who was a Methodist. And it was really a lot of fun because we'd work with them and ask them questions they couldn't answer and they'd go away. Um, let's see, when do you need an invitation song when you're done? <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. Can the general calling be effective? Yeah, that's when it's, that's when it's saving, that's when it's a saving column. That's when it's a saving grace. That's part of, that's a, off, uh, sometimes a result, right, as we talked about, a result of preaching the word. Christ's resurrection, for example, if he did not rise again. That's, that's Paul, right? Paul says in Corinthians, right, if he didn't rise, then we're done for, right? right? And I, I saw, you know, Tim Keller was like, they asked him something about kind of what the most important thing was, and he said about people who were you know, struggling with what's going on. He said the most important thing to remember is that Jesus raised from the dead. If Jesus is raised from the dead, you don't have anything to worry about if you're saved. If Jesus is raised from the dead and you're saved, you don't have anything to worry about. Whatever things look like now, right? Whatever things look like to us, it's going to be okay. Right? There's going to be trials. There's going to be hard times. Or beautiful and tragic things will happen. Right? That's what Frederick Buechner says. Right? But believe in God and live. Amen? I better let you all go get the kids or else we'll get... Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful. We're thankful for your grace and your son that saves us. Man, are we thankful. And Father, we know that's only through an act of you that you are good. And so in your goodness, you chose to let people like us come to a saving faith and spend eternity with you. And not only that, but to have eternal life now. To have a quality of life that's measurably different right, than the world. And so, Father, let us put that on display clearly. Let us love those who are lost, Father, and let our greatest desire, everyone walking out of here who is saved, Father, let their greatest desire be for others to know Jesus.
above anything else. Let that be the thing that is the top of their mind to share Jesus. Let your spirit work in and through us to seek and to save. Change us. It's in the precious name of Christ Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you all.